Revelation chapter 21, 1 through 5. Know that this church believes in the Bible and what it has to say to us. It's just as fresh today as it was when it was revealed to someone to be recorded. Uh, we, we believe that the Bible is God speaking to us. We believe that prayer and meditation are our opportunity to learn more about God. Verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with men. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And a little later, verse 10, And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel like a jasper, clear as crystal. Starting in verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will the gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. And in chapter 2, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, 
and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Some of you will be glad that we're ending this series today, just so that that intro will end, won't you? I'll try to pick a real mellow one next time, just to give you some time to recover. We are ending this series today talking about our future in Christ. We're talking about heaven, and I asked uh, that quartet to sing a song about heaven this morning because most of the great songs that I grew up hearing anyway about heaven were southern gospel quartet kind of songs uh, when I was a little kid my grandfather I remember would be asked a lot to sing at funerals uh, and one of the ones that folks would ask him to sing was called Beulah Land I don't know if you've heard it it goes Beulah Land I'm longing for you. And it's a pretty song. And uh, he would sing that at, at funerals. I remember that as just a little kid. And then uh, also when I was growing up, my dad would wake me up on Sunday mornings by playing music really loud in, in the house. And it was usually on Sunday mornings it was uh, a cassette he had made. If you know what that is. <laughs> Most of us do. Uh, a few of us might not, but a cassette he had made from a vinyl record of the cathedrals, and they would sing songs like um, "Won't It Be Wonderful There" and things like that. The uh, when I gr- grew up a little bit and headed off to college, I got to sing in a, in a quartet, and so of course we would sing songs about heaven. And uh, you know, one of the favorites that we used to sing was. Uh, First day in heaven, uh, let's see here. It's a great, great morning, your first day in heaven when you stroll down the Golden Avenue. And everyone starts clapping. And, uh, now, now we go to uh, nursing homes twice a month and we sing for the folks there. We always end by singing, those of you that go, what do we always sing at the end? I'll fly away. All right. 
And of course, down here in Louisiana, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the and when the saints go marching. Of course, unfortunately now, you know, the people I think think of football more than heaven when they sing that. I don't know. Some do. Some of my favorite songs are songs about heaven. And yet I find a lot of times that I'm reluctant to talk about heaven or to preach about heaven. And I think part of the reason, there's lots of reasons. You know, some of them, some of the reasons might include just that people in the world, you know, maybe view heaven as, uh, you know, you hear the word crutch or... Um, you know that that's the only reason that it's just some fantastical story that religious people believe uh, because they can't bear the thought of not being able to see their loved ones again or something like that and so we invent this story of heaven you know you also hear uh, well you also see Christians that seem to validate that argument by living as though that's the only reason they accepted Christ is for fire insurance for a a get out of hell free card right um, and that seemed, I mean, you know, their, their religion, their Christianity that they claim doesn't seem to have any impact on their life. They just, again, want to be able to see grandma again. Or, you know, I don't know what it is exactly. They want to get out of hell free card, it seems like. And another thing that bothers me about when people talk about heaven is a lot of times it seems like people view heaven as just the ultimate place of selfishness. You know, where every selfish desire you ever had comes true. Right? Of course, it doesn't get phrased that way. You know, it just gets phrased, oh, well, you know. If it were, for instance, my version of this would be, I would have a, a little mansion right by, right underneath the mountains with a clear lake behind it, and it would always be 72 degrees. <laughs> Snow on the mountain peaks where I can enjoy the view, but I don't have to shovel my drive. And if I want to stick a fishing pole in the pond out back, I always catch something. And I always have a good meal, and I don't have to cook it, and I don't have to clean up after it. (laughs) You know, you hear people, that's their view. You know, everything that they ever dreamed of, you know, that's what heaven's going to be. And other religions, you know, they have their versions of that, you know, where you're going to go and, and be in nirvana or, you know, perfect equality with the universe, you know, balance. Or, uh, you know, you'll have virgins over there, which if you're a guy, I guess, you know, it's something for you to look over. Or some religions say you'll have planetary dominion, you know, you'll have your own planet or planets, depending on how good you were in this life, you know, that you'll be reigning over. And so there's all this, you know, confusion and, and just weirdness, you know, surrounding heaven, unfortunately. And so sometimes I feel a little bit reluctant to talk about it. But today, you know, we're in this series on light and dark where we've been talking about this metaphor of uh, that's used throughout humanity and in our secular world too you hear and see imagery of light and dark and all that that means you know light being good and dark being evil and, and so I want today for us to look at heaven with that metaphor and, and that's what we find in, in the book of Revelation that we're going to look at today so far in this series we've we started at the very beginning right the first pages and we looked at Genesis 
And we said that God spoke into the darkness and he said, let there be light. And so we always have hope because we have a God who said, let there be light. And in fact, he sent his son who is the light. And not only that, he called us to live in the light and to shine as lights to the world. And today, we talk about the hope of a future with no more darkness. When we started this series on the very first page of Scripture, Genesis 1, and we read, Let There Be Light, if we had read on a little bit further, we would have read the description of the Garden of Eden. We would have read the description of life as God intended it before the fall of man. The description of what it was like before we decided we'd rather worship ourselves and do things our way instead of worshiping God and doing things His way. It seemed to be a perfect environment. And then... We did what we did. We chose our own path. We started doing things our way. And as we all know, things haven't been perfect since. In in our history and in our memory, we do not remember a time when all was well. When there was no darkness. As far back as our history reaches, there's been trouble. And pain. And suffering. And you don't have to look very far to find it. In fact, next week, we're going to be, it's going to be Freedom Sunday, and we're going to take a a special look at the issue in our world called human trafficking. And as you look into that, and as we talk about it next week, that is some serious darkness in our world. And that's just part of the darkness. We each know personal stories or stories from friends that are tragic and terrible. We're aware of atrocities committed by evil people. We can read the news today and and see bad stuff going on in the Middle East, bad stuff going on in Africa, bad stuff going on in our own backyard. You can read if you choose. You don't see much about it, but some of the things going on in North Korea would probably blow your mind. And honestly, if you learned all the ugly parts of our history, even though we're proud of 99% of it, there's some of our history that is equally discouraging here in America, where darkness and bad stuff has definitely taken place. And in the face of all this, people stand up inside the church and outside the church and they say, how can I reconcile the good God that's talked about in Scripture with all the darkness and the pain and the tragic suffering that I see around me in the world? How could a good, all-powerful, all-knowing God coexist with a world that has so much suffering and darkness? We're all familiar with this question, right? Probably some of us have asked it in some way, shape, or form. Most of us probably. 
And certainly we all at least know someone in our family or our friend circle who struggles with that question. For many people, they say that is what keeps them from faith and from going to church, from being a Christian. And to the degree, to the degree that you buy into that, that there could be no God because of all the suffering and the darkness in this world, to the degree that you accept that and let that define your life, you're really destined to a pretty sad life, right? Because you've accepted that there is no hope. That this is it. And that's just how it is. You've come to grips with a bleak reality as you've perceived it. But for those of us who not only read the early pages of Scripture and read about the fall of man and the darkness that crept in, but also the last pages of Scripture. For those of us that read that, we find hope. And we've read today from the book of Revelation. And this is a book that uh, different Christians treat differently. It's a, it's a very unique book. There's not another book quite like it in all of Scripture. And some of us try to keep it at arm's length because it's hard to understand. We think a lot of people abuse it. We don't bother reading it. I'm not going to get it anyway. You know, so we kind of keep it at arm's length. Others become obsessed with it and we read it and we read it and we read it and we try to figure out what each little symbol might mean and, and when things might happen and how they might happen and we read the Left Behind series which I won't even go there but <laughs> if you want to talk to me about that series sometime I'll give you my thoughts but don't have time right now. But different people react to the book differently but what I'll say about it is this that if we take the big pictures from it, there's really important stuff to be gleaned. And if you try to figure out every bit of symbolism in there, you're probably going to get yourself lost somewhere. <laughs> because, because so much of that symbolism is, is 2,000 year old early Christian and Jewish symbolism. And while we, we get some of it, there's some of it we just don't get. And anyone that tells you they've got it all figured out probably <laughs> is pulling your leg a little bit or their own leg a lot of the stuff in there even reaches back far into Jewish history and some of what we read today even calls back to mind images of the Garden of Eden we read this a few moments ago on each side of the river stood the tree of life that's imagery straight from the Garden of Eden where a river ran through it and, there was, and God planted the tree of life. And we read that they will see his face. And the Garden of Eden, as it was described in Genesis, seems to be the only time in history that we're aware of that someone, a, a human, saw God's face. Now Moses encountered God very closely, as close as anyone, so closely that when he returned, his face was glowing and people asked him to cover his face 
with some kind of veil because they were getting a little freaked out that his face was glowing every time he came back from talking with God. But even Moses didn't see God's face. But there was a day when people walked with God in the garden, face to face, as a friend. That's interesting to think about. And here in Revelation we read a hope of a future that will be a lot like that garden was, where things get back to the way God intended them to be from the start. And part of that is no more fear, no more shame, an openness and an intimacy with God that we can't even fathom right now. See, God has a plan, I believe, and Revelation teaches to restore things back to the way they once were. We also read this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Elsewhere we read that there will be no more night, no more darkness. See, the, the characteristic that defines or what should define our expectation of heaven the most is perhaps not the stuff that we think will be there, the pearly gates, the golden streets, the whatever your personal thing is, you know, like we talked about earlier, you know, your favorite show on a constant loop or <laughs> whatever it might be that sounds wonderful to you. Really, the thing that should define our view of heaven is more a lack of something. And that is a lack of darkness. And all that darkness represents, the pain, the suffering, everything that people point to and say, how could a good God coexist with this? And God points us to a time where that won't exist. There'll be no more darkness. Found this image interesting. It said, because there's no night there, its gates will never be shut. Now that may not mean much to us today, but in a, in a day and time when a city's walls represented its security and the, the strength of its gates when they were closed at night it was what you relied on to fend off the dangers that come in the dark. Watchmen would patrol and would watch for enemies that might try to enter the city at night. The gates were closed as a safety measure. So to think about a place and a time where the gates are always open. There's no need for gates. It's always daytime. It's always light. There's no reason to fear. It's interesting. We all... Uh, well, does anyone live in a place where you don't worry about locking your doors? <laughs> See? Now, some of you all live in rural places that are pretty seem pretty nice and safe, and yet you lock your doors. <laughs> I've met a few people that don't, and don't even live in necessarily safe places, and 
So, well, your life and your stuff. <laughs> Go for it. So to imagine, you know, a place where there is no fear of that. There's no fear of danger. There's no insecurity. But only the security that comes from living in the presence of God. Another thing that stands out to us from this. He constantly is saying things like this. But there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. Throughout that whole passage we read, he was constantly telling us things we won't need. We won't need a temple. We won't need gates. We won't need a light or a lamp or a sun. Because God is enough. God is enough now. And someday we'll live in his presence and know fully what it means that God is enough. Period. Now why talk about all this future hope? What bearing does it have on our current reality? That's another reason that maybe sometimes people are reluctant to even talk about heaven or preach about heaven because what, you know, how practically does it affect our lives? And yet I'd suggest to you that how you view your future greatly impacts how you choose to live your life now. I mean, if as a young person you believe that you'll never have a decent job, then you probably won't bother going to college. If you believe that the stock market's going to crash, the whole you know, global, the governments are going to tumble down, the, the grid's going to go disappear, you know, if the... There's folks that are, you know, they fear the worst. They're paranoid about that sort of thing. And what do they do? In the present, they stockpile ammunition, right? And survival food packets and dried foods. And and they have this whole plan. Some of them dig down into the earth and build security chambers or whatever they are down there, you know. And, And they have their plan in place for when everything comes crashing down. And the rest of us will be knocking on their door. (laughs) when it does if you believe that the stock market's going to boom you buy stocks right and if you believe that there's something that takes place after this life then in some form or fashion you have to deal now with what does that mean for your life now And if you believe that there will be a day where there's no more darkness, then in some way, shape, or form, that has to affect the choices you make and the way you think about your life now. If heaven is a place where God is enough, where you don't need gates and temples and Lights, because God is enough. Then, as Christians, we should begin to live as though God is enough now. We have so many things that we think we are necessities that we need, you know. I mean, if the washer and dryer go out, it's a 
it's a, it's a big deal. Heaven forbid that the heating go out. Or the air conditioning go out. Now that's a real necessity in the summer around here, right? Or that our cell phones stop working. Or that our cable television or satellite goes down, you know? Those are necessities in our culture, it seems like. But how would it change the way you view all that stuff if God is enough? How would it even change the way you view the true necessities if God is enough? How would it change how much you're worried about it if God is enough? And if heaven is a place where there's no more fear and the gates can stay open all day long, then shouldn't we begin to live without fear now or at least work on it? (laughs) Work towards it. Shouldn't we be a little bit more bold in our faith? What are we afraid of? What keeps us from sharing our faith with people we know need to hear it? What keeps us from living out our faith in ways that might draw criticism? Are we afraid of it? What need to fear have we? who believe that one day there will be no more fear, no more darkness. And if we believe that there will be no more darkness one day, that darkness will be defeated, then why don't we start fighting darkness now? And if we believe that On the contrary, heaven is this place where good abounds. Then why don't we start doing good now? What would it look like if God's people began to boldly, without fear, live as if God is enough, live as if Darkness, its ultimate fate has been written on the wall, so to speak, and began to do battle against it. And what would it look like if we began to do radical acts of good because we believe that one day good will reign? What would you do this week if you lived your life as though heaven is the reality that we say it is. Would you share your faith with someone? Would you ask that person who you know is struggling with hopelessness right now, if you could just say a prayer with them? What are you afraid of? That they're going to turn you down? That they're going to go tell all your co-workers? She has to pray with me. What's the fear? We have no need to fear for our God is enough. He is light and in him is no darkness at all. So I want to challenge us today to begin to live 
to live as though light wins so that those in darkness can hope. Live like light wins so that those in the dark can find hope. I was thinking this week, why do you think Jesus went around and healed all those people and fed all those people and even raised people from the dead who were just going to go on and die anyway? That's kind of a crazy question, right? Why do you think Jesus bothered and spent all the time going around healing all those people, feeding those people, raising them from the dead if they were just going to go on and die anyway? And as far as we know, they all did. I think he wanted to show us that he and the Father do care. They care deeply. We ask that question of how could we reconcile a good God with all the suffering and the pain that we see around us. I think Jesus understands that question. He lived here with us, experienced what we experience. And while he had a different perspective, certainly he understands why we ask that question. He understands how we struggle with it, and he wanted to show to those people whose lives it impacted, and for us who read the history of his life and his ministry, that he cares, that the Father cares. And so he went and he touched people who were considered untouchable. And he healed people that were considered unhealable. And he cried with people who were inconsolable. And he himself underwent suffering and tragedy on a scale that few of us will know. If any. And he did it. And when we look at it, we can't help but say, look, I don't know why all this suffering exists, but I know God cares. And I don't know why he can't end it all now any more than my daughter can't understand why she can't have everything that she wants right when she wants it. And in the same kind of way, we don't understand. We, we don't have a clue why it can't just be over now. All the suffering, all the darkness. But we know that this isn't what he wanted. He showed us through his son, Jesus Christ, who every time he healed someone, every time he fed someone, he was saying, I never wanted you to be unwell. I never wanted you to go hungry. I never wanted you to weep, to suffer. And I'll walk through it with you. Not only does he walk through it with us, but he leaves us this promise, this hope, And we know that he's able to overcome darkness. We've seen Jesus do it through the eyewitness accounts that we have. We know he's able. And we know that he promised us. And so we trust his promise that one day there'll be no more darkness. And until then, our job as Christians is to live like light winds 
so that those still in the dark can find hope. And so I challenge you this week to live like light wins. Consider what that means for you. Maybe you need to do something good for someone. Maybe you need to step up and fight some darkness that you're aware of in some way, shape, or form. Come back next week and we'll talk about some ways that we can fight darkness in practical ways. Now. Maybe you need to offer some hope to someone who's hopeless. But while we are here as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, let's go on doing what he did. Because he didn't just tell people there's hope. He showed them there's hope. And so it's up to us to show the world that there's hope as well. Let's pray together. Our God, our God of hope, our God of might and strength and power, power enough to overcome the worst and the darkest of darks. We place our hope in you, our faith in you, And God, there's so much in this world that we do not understand, cannot understand. But we know this isn't what you wanted. This isn't how you intended it to go. And we just trust, God, that you've got a plan that you're working out even now to bring all darkness to an end. And we look forward to that day, God. We look forward to the day when you'll truly be enough for us. Where we'll truly find our hope in you. And in the meantime, I pray you'd help us to live like light winds, God. So that those in the dark might find hope as well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.